Let's get going here. <clears throat> How are you all? Welcome to the Backyard Professor Sunday Night Live. Someone turn this rocket down. My garage band song. I love this. Garage band is fun. Oh, I look like heck, don't I? About the only way I can put music together. It's fun. Holy cow, I put this, how long does this go? Four minutes, well, 20 seconds left. How are y'all? Hope you're doing good. We're going to have a good night tonight. Got some good stuff for you. Okay, it's about time you shut up. I'm trying to talk. Can't you see that? Okay, welcome everybody. Good to see you all again. It's good of you to see me. Thanks for coming. That's all I've got for you tonight. <laughs> I'm trying to clear up, I'm telling you. So who all is here? Oh, Lorena. Good to see you. Burl Bikes. Good to see you. Barry Richens, my buddy. Doug Vincent, my other buddy. Mark Crispin, my other buddy. Burl Bikes, my other buddy. You're all buddies. Patty Cake, darling, how are you? Om, Om, Alisa Galin, yeah, JC, hello, hello, John Rosbarski, good to see Peter Higgs, uh, Tim Rathbone, Dan Vogel, man, the whole group is here, where's Radio Free Mormon, he's going to be losing out, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, man, Thomas Cisneros from Wisconsin, good to see you, Willie, good to see you, Willie, Lorena Cornella, yeah, Wild Flight 901, yeah, baby, you're all here, okay, yeah, baby, <clears throat> boy, I think I can do that, man, I'm, I'm sounding raspy, aren't I, holy cow, here is two, learning knowledge together, moving ever upward toward the light, yes. We have gotten out of the darkness of deception, and we tread onward and upward, up the vertical ascent, as Wolfgang Smith so properly teaches us. Yeah, baby. Uh-oh. Hopefully it won't knock us off. All right, you guys, you ready for some fun? Mark Crispin, quit flirting with patty cakes so much. <laughs> hey, T.O., good to see you. Hey, that philosophy to hey i'm talking to you pay attention 
tail buddy. Uh, Uzdavanus, the philosophy is a right of rebirth. Have you read that one, T.O.? Oh, my goodness, what a great book. What a fantastic book. Thank you again for turning me on to Uzdavanus. So, okay, here we go. Yeah, rough voice. Boy, I'm telling you. I'm going to try like crazy to <clears throat> keep my whistle wet. Oh, I went and soaked my head a few minutes ago in cold shower, and that felt great. So, uh, I have an announcement to make, which I will be discussing here forthwith soon and shortly. Um, Dan Peterson has responded to my video from yesterday. Kind of interesting. He actually, I don't think he watched the video, but we've been talking about it and there's been a lot of very interesting ideas put out there by uh, my good friend Gaddy Anton and uh, Drum Dude and several different people have been looking up different sites discussing this theme of Book of Mormon Archaeology. And I, my good friend Barry Richens is here. Shout out to you, Bear. Feel free to talk with these guys in chat also. But uh, yeah, Barry's the one that kind of turned me on to trying to do some elaboration on the Book of Mormon Archaeology. And what a great idea. This is a fantastic, interesting subject because the irony here, the, the deep irony here is that there is no such thing. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, they wanted to, believe me. In Thomas Stewart Ferguson's day, where's my book? Where's my book? Hold on, I've got to find my book. I've got to show you the book. You guys have already seen it. Oh, I'm showing you the back of my wet head. Sorry. Well, where is it? I had it right here. I swear to goodness I did. Anyway, it's the gold one. The gold one. The Here it is. Here it is. Just look for the gold plates, cowboy. Yeah. Quest for the gold plates. Stan Larson, if you guys haven't got this yet, sincerely, you got you to gotta get it. You got to read it. Really, it's one of the better ones. Where he talks about the... Uh, Ferguson uh, story, and I'm, I'm just saying, uh, they wanted to, the church wanted to get an archaeology program so bad, and they commissioned certain people, Milton R. Hunter from the 70, if I remember, one of the general authorities, they had him involved with Thomas Stewart Ferguson and several of those guys, and uh, man, I mean, it was just Yes, yes, T.O., I'm catching on to that. All of Uzdavnis' texts are rad, and I am looking into every single one of them, and I will read them all. I will get all of his books. He is really spectacular, isn't he? What a fun subject, and I will be, uh-oh, Burrow Bikes. All right, you guys, stop fighting in the chat. <laughs> and if you fight, you got to make up. We're all friends and family here. Hey, Bruce Daniel, good to see you. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. The Book of Mormon is now my focus for my videos. The first on anti-Masonic rhetoric. Excellent, Dan Vogel. I'll focus on the Book of Mormon with you. 
I, I was kind of late to the party with the uh, book of Abraham. You had already produced your excellent series of videos on the book of Abraham about a year or two before I did. And then I kicked up 18 or 19. So I'll do the book of Mormon with you. I would be honored to do the book of Mormon with you. That'll be great. Let's discuss the book of Mormon. You bet. Oh, that's interesting. Tim Rathbone, your cousin was a non-member and he was part of the archeology span department. That's cool. That's kind of fun. Oh, Teresa Pittman. Good to see you, dear. Uh, Newton Lemos. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, isn't it? And then Mo Sia, good to see you. Mo Sia, good to see you. Yeah, yeah, baby. Oh, I'm just saying. Oh, all oh, you guys, you're awesome, man. It's fun to entertain you and kind of share a little bit of information with you uh, that I come to an understanding about. And uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, what was the Dan Peterson response? I will be talking about that here just shortly. However, first, I've got to take care of something else. Because from my, from my understanding, which is limited, uh, when... Uh, Mormons would very rarely point to non-Mormons to specific uh, epigraphic or archaeological or linguistic materials as an evidence directly for a specific person in the Book of Mormon. And uh, that happened a few years back. And I want to sh I want to talk about that first, and then I will get on to my Dan Peterson response to my efforts to tell him that he is an apologist. He is a very good apologist, and if he understood the context of that, that would not please him. But he sucks at being a scholar, and if he understood that, he would do something about it. But apparently, he doesn't comprehend that much either. So I will get to Dr. Peterson. He is, by the way, doing a fireside tonight up in Calgary to a combined two stakes. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't meet it, meet it uh, on Zoom. I didn't get a Zoom invite, but I would much rather spend my time with you guys. And then I'll look that up and do another one. He's doing something about how to navigate through a faith crisis. Yeah, my way is turn to the light and read good stuff and accept evidence, but that doesn't help you navigate through a faith crisis. That helps you accelerate your faith crisis so that you can get rid of the phony faith and start to come to true knowledge. That would be my approach to the faith crisis issue. Read the real stuff. Quit studying the Mormon leaders and their scholars because they're not interested in truth. They're interested in faith promoting. So Bruce Daniel, good to see you. I think I said that. Okay, Mosia. All right, Patty Cake, have some tape here tea while watching Dan. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, don't tell me some of you guys are leaving me to go watch Dan Peterson. That'd suck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you do, good luck. May the force be with you. I guess you could always come back and watch my video. That's true. That way you wouldn't miss Daniel C. Peterson, apologist extraordinaire, paid apologist, I might add. I know he hates it when we say that. That's too bad. That's tough tape here because uh, he is a paid apologist. That's the truth. He worked at BYU. That means he was paid. Don't kid yourself. So, 
Bill Hamblin, unfortunately, rest his soul. He recently died, and I was very sorry to hear that. He died way too young. I was hoping to see some more contribution by him. I considered him my friend. Uh, we had breakfast together a few times and lunch and uh, got together and shared some information. We actually did a series of uh, blog posts on the Zohar together. We were doing some Zohar studies a few years back when I first got my first three or four uh, volumes of the Daniel Matt translation, the Pritzker edition of the Zohar. I was thrilled to death with that. Now I've got all 12 and I'm still thrilled to death with it. Uh, I do need to talk more Zohar with you also. That'll get into the Kabbalah and into mysticism that way. And uh, I don't discount mysticism like uh, some people do. We're going to get into that subject as well. However, in debating Phil Jenkins to get back on target here, Here's what Phil Jenkins, and he had wrangled back and forth with Bill Hamblin. Bill Hamblin was absolutely getting slapped silly, and he knew it. And his audience knew it. So some of the junior tier apologists, Neil Rapalai and Steve Smoot and some of those types, uh, began to contend with Phil Jenkins, and he just pow, pow, batted them away like a couple of obnoxious flies. Uh, they were literally zero effective rate. And uh, then he got back on to Bill Hamblin. What he said to Bill Hamblin was very important. And so I want to take my time and read this. I wrote this all out just for you guys, my favorite audience. So let's get going here. This is Phil Jenkins' theme, his, his discussing with Bill Hamblin. Hamblin is a distinguished scholar and historian who works on difficult and abstruse topics that demand a sophisticated and critical approach to evidence. Sources are all. Sources are all. And the fact that Dr. Hamblin moves so successfully in this scholarly environment shows that he understands that point very well indeed. Take an example from Dr. Hamlin's own area of expertise. Just imagine if I was to say to him, well, you claim to work on all these people from the distant past, all these Hittites and Sumerians, Assyrians and Minoans, because it's so long ago, we can't know anything about them or that they were really ever there. Let's just keep this on a realistic level, right? <laughs> I don't even believe that Egypt had all of those pharaohs and dynasties. Well, what would Dr. Hamblin do? were I to approach him that way. He would very patiently explain to me why I was talking errant nonsense. He would do so on the basis of common archaeological patterns of sequences in architecture and poetry and metalwork of linguistic evidence of inscriptions, visual records, and of course, Texts of all different kinds, historical, legal, religious, medical, and all the rest. He would in particular note how 
authenticated ancient texts from one culture illuminated and confirmed the existence of another. He would also make the point about accumulated evidence because these findings do not stand in isolation whatsoever, but each one supports the other and it reinforces what we know from others. He would also point out that knowledge he was referring to had been developed and it had been a tested knowledge and perfected over most almost two centuries. He would be strictly fastidious in drawing entirely on verified contemporary texts from the period in question. He would also be cautious about drawing on any text or object about which there was any controversy or any suggestion that it was a later forgery. Let there be no doubt here, contemporary is king. His argument would be quite conclusive and utterly convincing. It would also be founded on a panoply of sources utterly unavailable to anyone attempting to prove the existence of the Nephites, Lamanites, and other characters in the Book of Mormon's mythological structure. Precisely none of these resources I have mentioned for the ancient Near East are in any sense available for the Book of Mormon's alleged world. That is not opinion. That is fact. So when I myself, now this is still Phil Jenkins, he's basically talking to Bill Hamblin and his entire audience because uh, everybody was trying to jump in there and save Hamblin's sorry whipped little butt from Phil Jenkins. And he was a one-man demolition. He just, he wiped out the entire sub-tier of apologists and the middle tier of apologists, and he was taken out the peak apologist, and nobody could stop him. Here's what he further said. When I myself have criticized certain journals like the interpreter, now those of you who don't know, Daniel Peterson, after getting booted out of farms and farms being dismantled, uh, began a, an online journal called Interpreter, and he's been going on for quite a few years with that. And so everybody that used to uh, produce their evidence, their information, their analysis of scriptural exegesis uh, turns now their materials into the Interpreter, and he publishes it online. I have seen a, uh, a couple of volumes of Interpreter for sale, on Amazon, if you don't, uh, if you don't want to read it online, if you want to get the print edition, you can. Uh, I personally won't waste my money that way, but I've got much better materials to purchase myself. So it's just farms, read vivis type materials. Absolutely no evidence, all conjecture and hope, and wish thinking. But so when I myself have criticized certain journals like the interpreter as not being scholarly, apologist commentators 
have rebuked me on the grounds that these are actually referee journals and therefore demanding respect. Here is the kicker, and I do believe this is where Hamblin knew he was defeated. I, I seriously do. Uh, this had to have absolutely hurt. The reason I think it hurt is because of Hamblin's response about BYU's administration attitude toward him doing apologetic work after this debate. Uh, this this clobbered Hamblin because it was pure truth. Notice which side has the truth on its side. Jenkins. Hamblin couldn't defend what Jenkins saw and understood the evidence to show. And he hit it right on the head. Uh, this is devastating. But if BYU itself treats these outlets as unworthy and non-respectable, why should a non-Mormon writer such as myself act any differently? If ancient Book of Mormon studies are not cultivated at BYU, indeed, seemingly it is despised, well, where does it exist as an academic subject? And if not at BYU, then why should anyone else care about it? Uh, wow, that's impeccable logic, isn't it? Uh, truly, that, get, that cuts right to the core. For the sake of argument, let's say that the ancient Book of Mormon Studies, the ABMS, is a respectable academic discipline. Dr. Hamblin claims that the ancient Book of Mormon Studies, one, there are dozens, if not hundreds of qualified scholars publishing at ABMS, Ancient Book of Mormon Studies. Number two, the bibliography in the field amounts to hundreds and perhaps thousands of items. Now, this is Bill Hamblin telling Phil Jenkins this is what's happening in this study of Ancient Book of Mormon. Three, several professional journals are dedicated to ABMS. Four, several conferences are held each year at ABMS. Five, numerous books on the topic are published each year. <clears throat> Here is Phil Jenkins' retort. Pay attention to how he decimates all of BYU here. I don't mean just Bill Hamblin, and I don't mean just Dr. Peterson and his small, insignificant role at farms or the small, insignificant dent farms ever made in establishing divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Watch Phil Jenkins eliminate Mormon scholarship across the board right here. 
In that case, it would be very simple for him or any one of these qualified scholars to respond to a straightforward question. Can anyone cite any single credible fact, object, or site, or inscription from the New World that supports any one story found in the Book of Mormon? One shirt of pottery, one tool of bronze or iron, one carved stone, one piece of genetic data, and by credible, I mean drawn from a reputable scholarly study, an academic book, or refereed journal, not some cranky piece of pseudoscience. The millions of Book of Mormon peoples would most certainly, definitely have left a massive and unmissable archaeological trace. Jenkins asked that question at least a dozen times during the course of this magnificent debate, and it was never confirmed. He was not given any one single piece, not one. None of the church leaders came forward to help Bill Hamblin. Bill Hamblin absolutely failed. Daniel Peterson tucked his tail between his legs and stayed out of the fight altogether. Uh, Lou Midgley was nowhere to be found. None of the other farms people even bothered to help Bill Hamblin. Bill Hamblin was on his own and he got decimated. But then Jenkins decimated the rest of intellectual scholarly Mormonism across the board. One man by asking the only question that has any type of valid meaning to anyone else who's not Mormon. And to this day, six, seven years down the road, it has still not been done. No one has stepped forward yet. But Hamblin did rise to the occasion. This is what convinced me I am right in not being an apologist anymore. By the time this debate took place, I had stopped being an apologist. Uh, I'm not sure if I had actually come out on the message board and said so yet or not, but once I read this debate, I realized, oh my gosh, I must be inspired to stop being an apologist because I, I can't defeat Phil Jenkins. Several people tried and they all lost. Here's how Hamblin handled that challenge. And this is so powerful. This is so powerful how this went down that I'm excited to share it with you. There is an inscription in the central shrine on the top of the temple which celebrates the coronation of King Kainich Khan Balam of Palenque. 
The founder is named, man, I did it again. I apologize. Hang on just one quick sec. I want to uh, show this to you because this is so cool. The founder of the royal family of Palenque, his name is who? Kicks. Con. I hope I've spelled that right. That's the name that Bill Hamblin gave to Philip Jenkins. And he said, read it and weep, cowboy, because here's the issue. His pronunciation is ukish or wakish. Four things about this ukishkan in this inscription. One, the chronology. He was from the 10th century BC. Two, his name, Ukishkan. U-K-I-X-K-A-N is how is how I spelled it with C-H, but it's also K-A-N. Either way. His title is King. That's the third element. The fourth element is his function. Legendary founder of the Palenque royal family. Now, now. Hamblin brings out the big gun. He says, this is the historic inscription discovered in an archaeological context in Palenque at the temple. This figure can now be compared with King Achish. In the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Ether, there's the uh, there's the evidence right there. Now, Akish is in Ether eight and nine, and so the first point matching the chronology of the 10th century BC for Ukish Khan of Palenque. Bill Hamblin shows how the chronology of Akish, a Jaredite now, lived in the early pre-classic formative period of 1800 BCE to 400 BCE. So the second thing is about the name Akish, broadly homophonous with Ukish Khan given the well-known phenomenon of the change of pronunciation of proper names through a time and between the cultures, the Maya Ukish is a close homophonic match to the Book of Mormon Akish some 1,500 years earlier. Ukish Khan Akish. They sound the same. There's a homophonic relationship. The third item about Akish in the Book of Mormon paralleling to Ukish Khan of Palenque in Mesoamerica is the title. 
Achish was also a king. Direct correlation here. The fourth item, which Hamblin demonstrates to poor Phil Jenkins, is the function. Both of these men were founders of a new dynasty line reading Ether 9-6. It would seem then that the Maya kings of Palenque had a vague recollection of their legendary ancestor from Olmec time, whose name and function broadly parallels the story of Achish in the Book of Mormon. Given the sparse nature of the Mesoamerican data and the uncertainties of the pronunciation of Maya glyphs 1,500 years ago, the Akish and Ukishkan connection is as good as we can expect to find. It represents the existence in a Mesoamerican inscription of a Book of Mormon king with broad parallels in name, date, title, and function. Checkmate, Phil Jenkins. You lose. Now I'll give you Phil Jenkins' response. And this is what brought out all of the defense for Bill Hamblin. Because Phil Jenkins just slaughters him. Truly. <laughs> this is the most brutal response I've ever read of any claim for a Book of Mormon Mesoamerican archaeological piece of demonstrated historical reality tying in with the Book of Mormon. Phil Jenkins says, There is so much wrong with this particular claim that I don't even know where to start. Your Hamblin original question to me was this. Here is Bill Hamblin's original question that he asked Bill Jenkins. If we had a Mesoamerican inscription which mentioned a Book of Mormon king with a date and historical context that matched the Mormon, the that matched the date and context for the Book of Mormon, would that be objective evidence in favor of the historicity of the Book of Mormon? And Phil Jenkins told him, I agreed that yes, if it fit those specifications and was truly convincing, that would definitely qualify as objective evidence, of course. And that's when Bill Hamblin brought this out. But this 
nowhere meets the criteria. When you asked the question, I was genuinely intrigued about what you were going to produce. Did you indeed have a reference to a 4th century AD inscription, say, referring to a specific king mentioned in the Book of Mormon at that very time? I was doubly curious about your reference to date and historical context. Did you really have a case where an inscription referred not only to King X, son of Y, but situated him in a particular city or a region likewise linked to him in the Book of Mormon? So is there such an inscription? No, not even close. You are citing, now understand, understand something. Bill Hamblin was no slouch of a scholar. He seriously was good. I read quite a few of his books. His book on Solomon's Temple and King Solomon was extremely interesting because I was Mason at the time I read it. So, I mean, he knew how to do historical reading. I mean, he could translate the Dead Sea Scrolls and the ancient manuscripts and, and stuff as they're found archaeologically. You know, he understood a lot of stuff about the ancient Mediterranean world. And yet, he is playing a game that he can't win. So he is trying everything he can to at least keep the possibility open that perhaps, maybe, there's some kind of parallel here that could help the Book of Mormon? Watch how Phil Jenkins responds. This will just kill you. <laughs> oh, my hell. You are citing a 7th century A.D. text from an alleged person living 1,500 years previously. Well, this gets into fundamental issues of the horizon of memory, of course. As it stands... It is rather like someone in 1976 claiming to speak of events that happened at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 with no intervening steps. Might it be authentic? Sure, in theory, provided you can account for how the information was passed on. Do we have a plausible chain of evidence? The earliest inscriptions associated with the Maya are from the 3rd century BC. Genealogical lists get sketchy after just two or even three centuries, let alone 15. Look at the regnal lists we find in Anglo-Saxon England from this time. 
They are great on the man's parents, plausible on his grandparents, and then they start padding the descent line with the mythological figures borrowed variously from the Bible and from Germanic mythology, including gods and demons, and names added entirely for euphony. You can never trust royal or aristocratic genealogies from this era back into the far past, or indeed more than a century or two. If you can find a Maya scholar who suggests you can in that context, then bring that rash soul on. <laughs> Ouch. He's not done yet. But if you could trust the genealogies, what do you have here? You say it's a close homophonic match. In other words, we could say it sounds a bit like the other word, right? If you take all the miscellaneous names in Maya inscriptions and all of the characters in the Book of Mormon, it would be astounding if there were not multiple sound-alike matches. And especially when you off the wiggle room by the changes of pronunciation over a mere 1,500 years. Ooh. Oh, his sarcasm here is spectacular. Now he's mocking Hamblin. Rightly so, because of the pretext and context that Hamblin thinks he's going to overawe this particular scholar. Now, of course, in a Sunday night fireside like Dan Peterson's doing tonight, he would overawe his audience with that parallel. But real peer review scholarship like Phil Jenkins? Not even a chance. Prayers to Elohim isn't going to help Bill Hamblin here. As both lists are concerned with the same general class of society, that is, kings, aristocracies, and high priests, right? then, of course, the alleged sound-alike person is going to be fulfilling one of those elite offices. Nor does this sound-alike come equipped with any corroborative additional details, <coughs> such as the king of city X or the one who won the great battle Y, nor is there Akish son of Kimnor, which would be very suggestive of Akish and his friend Lord Omer. In other words, there is precisely none of the Book of Mormon context that you implied in your question to me about what constitutes objective evidence. So you think a sound alike from a genealogy claiming to be reliable over 1,500 years is as good as we can expect to find? 
Absolutely not. Jenkins will not put up with any of this stupid apologetic bullshit. Pap and pablum, fluff, pandering, silliness. You claim evidence, then you damn well better produce it. And it damn well better be good because you will be peer-reviewed. Anything vaguely contemporary and more plausible in terms of supplying some specific information would be vastly better, says Phil Jenkins. Absolutely wiped him out. Uh, and, and rightly so. So, to date... And, and I mean, I might be behind the times. I can't keep up with absolutely everything, but I do have a lot of friends who kind of help keep me in the loop on some kind of certain developments and stuff, so on and so forth. There are a network of us behind the scenes who do a lot of research in boatloads of different areas of science, philosophy, religion, history, archaeology, etc. The Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Abraham, the Book of Moses, and all that. And uh, so far as I can tell, not one item yet from Mesoamerica has been presented, put forward as objective evidence, which has had the legitimate acceptable scholarly critique and points which would validate it as objective evidence for the Book of Mormon, there has been nothing on the horizon ever since Joseph Smith gave us that book. John Lloyd Stevens' materials produced fundamentally nothing for the direct Book of Mormon. Nephite and Lamanite cultures. Those remain invisible. So that's Jenkins winning the war. Now, now don't tell the apologists that. You'd hate to see grown men cry, right? They won't believe you anyway. They will just invoke faith and carry on as usual, pretending like stuff like... Uh, Brian Stubbs' Uto Aztecan works. And that's what I wanted to get into next is uh, Daniel Peterson's response to me, more or less, uh, more indirect than direct. I doubt he has the capability of watching my video and comprehending my criticism, but he might. Here is what he said on the message boards, however, that he does read. He said, I note that a few folks on the Peterson Obsession Board, he thinks that the whole world revolves around him and that all we can think and do on Shade's Message Board is talk about him. Now, granted, he does take up a lot of the uh, attention and time. That is true. And there are times when there's a lot going on concerning him, but it, we are not obsessed. I personally am not obsessed with him. So... They have taken aim at the fireside that I presented in Calgary on Thursday night. 
and a couple of them watched it online via Zoom. I was one of them. My good friend Tom was another one. One of them in particular, moi, moi. See, I've made things. Yeah, I've gotten to the yeah, baby. I am Daniel C. Peterson, famous now. Woohoo! Anyway. One of them in particular has taken aim at my relatively brief allusion to the work of Brian Stubbs, a respected authority on the lexicography of the Uto-Aztecan language family in the New World. You may or may not recall Brother Stubbs' contention that the vocabulary of Uto-Aztecan appears to have been significantly influenced in ancient times by contact with Hebrew, Aramaic, and Egyptian. Even, watch how supposedly clever Daniel Peterson doesn't commit to anything. We are seeing apologetics power reduced to sucking their thumb whimpering, hoping someday they can get another lollipop because they have no evidence at all, and it's killing them inside. Watch how Peterson does this. This is incredible. I, I, I just sat back in amazed. It popped my eyes, man. So, even if accepted, this proposition would not as such be direct evidence for the Book of Mormon. Yeah, baby. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord and pass the mustard. That's right. The apologists are claiming that the evidence they are presenting to support the Book of Mormon doesn't really do that. So why the hell are they holding firesides presenting all this goofy stuff? Because it's apologetics. It's designed to build your faith. Nobody in his Calgary, Canada audience in those stakes up there are going to look into Brian Stubbs and read all of the literature and reviews of this subject. All they need is what Daniel Peterson said next. He's not done yet. <laughs> wow. But. So he said, let, let me reread this and I'll quit interspersing my comments. I just had to demonstrate to you that the lack of evidence is really getting them in hot water. And they know that it's not evidence. And yet they're presenting it as evidence. That's apologetics, folks. <laughs> I mean, wow, what a beautiful illustration from such a perfect source. Daniel C. Peterson, number one apologist 
of Mormonism for decades. Now let me read the full context. This is huge. This is huge. <laughs> wow. And I'm grateful I could play a good part in getting him to finally admit that all he's doing is spreading bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the backyard professor got the confession, folks, from the number one apologist to Mormonism. Now, let me read the whole thing. This is, I'm celebrating here. Sorry. I don't mean to. Well, yes, I do. This is huge. I never thought I'd live to see this day. Celebrate with me, my friends. Apologetics has confessed its evidences are not real. <laughs> wow. Okay, now here's the full content. I know, shut up and tell us. So, even if accepted, this proposition would not as such be direct evidence for the Book of Mormon, but there's no question that, again, if accepted, it would greatly enhance the Book of Mormon's credibility. Well, duh. Any of the stupid silliness that Bill Hamblin presented to Phil Jenkins if it would have been accepted, would have enhanced the Book of Mormon credibility. Duh. Any claim is going to be enhancement if it is accepted. The catch is none of it is. So that logically, we can say the Book of Mormon has never been enhanced by any evidence because there's none that's agreed upon. <laughs> wow! That's Daniel C. Peterson! That's what apologetics have been reduced to. That's amazing. Yeah. And you wonder why I quit being an apologist. I sure the hell don't. Now, interestingly enough, uh, I went and found a review of Brian Stubbs' Uto Aztecan. And several of my good friends also found other reviews and other areas that they shared with me and I would like to share with you tonight. Uh, this uh, Peterson has always tried to push Stubbs, Uto Aztec, and Hebrew Egyptian parallels. Because, of course, it's supposed to give credibility to the Book of Mormon, right? That's the whole reason why Brian Stubbs even wants to find a connection between the two. And one of his reviewers said that. He said, you know, it's only because of the Book of Mormon. And that's certainly a ridiculous reason to try to do serious scholarly, linguistic, archaeological, epigraphic uh, work on this subject just to favor your own personal religious pet theory. Uh, it's pretty stupid waste of scholarly time, and it truly is. See, that's the impression Brian Stubbs gives. But if you just listen to Dan Peterson and accept his version, his apologetic slant, you don't get the full context at all. 
Chris Rogers also has a PhD in linguistics. His review of Stubbs in the Scholar's Archive, and here is the Scholar's Archive website. Hopefully you can see that. Go ahead and copy that down. You can pause the video after the video gets made. And you can copy that down and go look at this source. This is an incredibly interesting article. A good review, honest good review. Here's what Carl Rogers says. He shows Stubb is not being accepted on the whole. He says, Stubbs' work is so replete with disorganization, numerous assumptions, mistaken definitions, or incorrect characterizations of linguistic concepts, inexact methods, <laughs> pedantry, and apologetic rhetoric, that the idea seems dubious. There is no evidence that the languages are related. Wow. <laughs> That's a PhD linguist, right? Well, a friend of mine found some other linguist people, and here's what they said. Now, this particular linguist is from Reddit. He goes by the name of Bogdan Denisovich. He says the 1,528 total connections aren't all from the same hypothetical Uto-Aztec proto-language. They're from the various languages spoken between Oregon and Guatemala. Stubbs took a word in Egyptian, Arabic, or Hebrew, which are also all distinct, although they're in the same language family. And then he looked for a similar sounding word in any of the dozens of Native American languages. Even then, his connections are often a stretch. He tried to match the word P in Egyptian to the word for acorn in a random Native American language. Well, this technique is unhelpful because you can do that with any two language families in the world and come up with the similar results. For instance, the Japanese word for see is miru, and the Spanish word for look is mirar. 1,499 more parallels, and I can claim that the Romans settled Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty interesting view, huh? Here's another one. Another gent who majored in linguistics with an emphasis on historic linguistics, and he said he is a fully believing Latter-day Saint linguist. And he says, with Stubbs comparing 13 Uto-Aztecan languages and seven Semitic languages, he has introduced an incredible number of false cognates. Finding 1,500 potential cognates in that enormous corpus is a lot of work, but it's not science. 
and that is only 1,500, is utterly unconvincing. So there's a few critiques, and I haven't found them all yet. So again, true to form, rather than giving us a realistic impression and overall view, he's making it sound like Brian Stubbs is onto something serious and he is being persuasive in the scholarly world and he's showing how there is a, as he put it in his fireside on Thursday night, there is a linguistic DNA that shows that the languages came from the Middle East and that is pure, unadulterated fantasy. That is not what Brian Stubbs has established in the scholarly world. Nobody accepts that, unless you're a Mormon named Brian Stubbs or Daniel C. Peterson, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. So anyway, very, very fascinating to see, to compare, see again, and Again, I will say it this way. It is unfortunate that the apologetics has put us in a position to where I can't trust them. You know, Bill Hamblin asks the question, well, if I give you a legitimate inscription for Mesoamerica, and it parallels the historic context in the Book of Mormon, including the direct name of the person, is that objective evidence? Well, yeah, based on that criteria. And then he pulls some kind of a sophomore amateur magic trick and does something absolutely none of which he said he had. None of it was historically contextual, accurate, or correct. It was 1,500 years off. And then it was a homophonous list. It wasn't a specific king in the Book of Mormon that was identified in a Mesoamerican text at all. Bill Hamblin was just working with the, with the slimmest of possible parallels with the bare minimum of credibility. And of course, in a real peer review fashion, Bill Jenkins smacked him down. He said, no, sir, that will not do. If you are going to do scholarship, then you do scholarship. Is it any wonder the Mormon apologists can't get their stupid, phony crap published in legitimate peer-reviewed journals? They have to invent their own inbred scholarship where all they do is quote each other, imagining that they're building faith. You know, that's what the interpreter is, and more or less BYU studies has become that, and so on and so forth. There's just nothing on the horizon for an established reality within history. Now, understand something. It is the literalistic mindset of the Mormon church leaders that has helped generate this friction between scholarship and apologetics because the basis of the scripture, they are insisting their own scholars go with the literal history. And so being 
employed by the church at BYU. You are employed by the church. I don't care how much rhetorical fluff you throw out there saying, oh, I don't make a dime doing apologetic work. You're not fooling us at all. If you are employed at BYU, you are only allowed to come to certain conclusions and to utilize the historical materials in a way which directly leads you to those pre-arrived at conclusions or you will be booted out and lose your employment. We know how the game works that way. Maybe they can lie to their own audience and give some sort of a a phony display of objectivity. But the rest of us, we get it. We Especially we former apologists who used to do that type of methodological silliness on historical verification of Mormon scriptures. That bull roar don't work period. It's fake. There is no objective historical materials demonstrating that there is an actual reality to the Book of Mormon, Nephites, Lamanites, Jaredites, or Mulekites. Nothing has been found. Not yet. It's been 200 years. Bayes' theorem says, we are fully justified in our contemporary setting as of today to come to a conclusion based on the evidence. The evidence in this case is zero. So we are justified from a Bayesian epistemological point of view in saying, I don't believe it's real. Now, that doesn't mean we're wicked, heinous, or losing the Holy Spirit because our poor little minds are being darkened. See, that's the Mormon leadership bullshit brainwash they want to give you to make you feel guilty so that you will continue to believe. But realistically, truly, objectively, as objectively as we can, we are fully justified in saying, well, I don't, I don't believe it. Now, with the epistemic responsibility now that in the future, if other evidence comes forward, that actually does establish that reality, then we adjust our belief. In this case, we adjust our doubt. That's how it works. And vice versa. Peterson lamely and blatantly incorrectly continues to use the name Alma and Nahum and stuff like that as a basis of demonstrating divine, actual, ancient authenticity of the Book of Mormon. And when we find out that the upgraded material gets rid of that apologetic, then we should stop presenting the old apologetic and update to the newest, best referenced 
information, that means the apologists are going to have to realize that the name Alma is no longer viable as a piece of evidence and they should quit using it. That would be the honest thing. But of course, we're not going to see that. No, of course not. Because apologetics is not about truth. Now, that's shocking. I will say it again. Apologetics is not about truth. That's the difference between apologetics and scholarship. Truly, we are seeing it live in action with this fabulous Jenkins-Hamblin debate. And several of the junior tier apologists, Neil Rapoli and Steve Smoot and those guys, they tried to come to the rescue and they just got absolutely wiped out by the real scholarship of Phil Jenkins. Now we see it with Daniel C. Peterson sharing his pap and pablum and fluff and worthless, outdated information as if that's supposed to build faith. It wipes out faith when you realize Man, you're using old stuff, and the newer stuff says the old stuff is no good. Yet you're still using the older stuff? Not only do you destroy my faith, you stupid moron, but you also kill my trust in believing anything you say. Again, you stupid moron. And yet Dan Peterson is not a stupid moron. He is a very intelligent man. So why do I say stupid moron? Because he's following the agenda of the church. Because he's a paid apologist. Duh. So what does this do? This shifts the burden of mistrust from a good man, Daniel Peterson. Unfortunately for him, he does no better. Two mistrusting the whole organization. <laughs> Is it any wonder so many people are leaving Mormonism? Duh. Your rescue missions are always going to flop. They're a joke. Your pre-planned questions and you're pre-planning with certain of the youth in the audience to sit over there and sit over there. And then when you raise your hand, we'll call you and you ask the question that we're going to give you on this piece of paper and then we'll answer you. And then it will make us look like we're really helping you. Your stupid bullshit deception is what's convincing us that we don't trust you. Duh, do you want a quarter so you can go buy a clue? It is astonishing that adult men who are supposed to be mature and intelligent can't see the problem. But then to them, see, there is no problem. Because I'm coming from this from an ideological viewpoint that I was raised in as a Mormon. Oh, I love the truth. I have the truth. I want the truth. The truth shall set you free. It's glorious. It's wonderful to feel the burning in the bosom and so on and so forth. The leaders don't give a rat's ass about the truth. It's not about the truth in Mormonism anymore. It's all about maintaining faith, image, and appearance. That's all they care about. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't possibly be doing what they're doing and acting the way they're acting and encouraging and paying their scholars to write and say what they are writing and saying. Once you recognize, once these scales of darkness fall from your eyes and your eyes are open to the fact that, oh, in Mormonism, it's really not about the truth anymore. Then you get to recognize Jesus got it right. You will know the truth and it shall free you from the brainwash of an organization that isn't about the truth. Now, of course, if you don't value the truth, then none of this means diddly squat. <laughs> you know, huh? you just wasted an hour of your life listening to me. If you do care about the truth, then the nice thing is, as we produce, as, as we continue to research and study this stuff out, we are beginning to learn where the truth is not to be found. And that is part of the quest. That is part of the hero journey. You must go down some false trails in order to find the true trail. So be always happy and enjoy the journey because it's not about the destination. Come on, all of the great mythologies say this, you guys. Absolutely every one of them, man. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yeah. And what a terrific journey, man. A journey of the mind. We're all on the hero quest, you know. Come on, whether you like him or not, doesn't matter. Joseph Campbell got that one right. Is it true? Mercedes got it right. I'm just no joke. Alan Watts got it right. Algis Uzdavinis got it right. Wolfgang Smith got it right. And now we are able to follow along the other great heroes' journeys, not by way of uh, mimicking them or just slavishly, brainlessly following along with them. No, we're learning how to blaze our own trail to succeed in acquiring the tools for our own journeys. Well, maybe this particular hero had to use a bow and arrow. I'm using a metaphor here. Understand, don't concretize this metaphor on me. If my particular real big hero used a bow and arrow to accomplish his journey, that does not mean I use a bow and arrow or else I will fail. I mean, my weapon may be a stick broke off a tree branch. You don't know. Or it could be a sword. That's a little bit more majestic and romantic and exciting and masculine. Or it could be an Uzi or a grenade launcher. You know, everyone has their own individual characteristics that we take on our hero journeys and it's okay. We are not required to conform to everyone else. Now, in many organized religions, unfortunately, they've lost that understanding of the critical importance of the individuality 
And so they go with pure group conformity. And they will do everything they can to praise you lavishly when you're obedient. God is so happy and joyful and thrilled with you. And now the priesthood can flow through your hands as you lay your hands on people and bless their lives with greatness. And you proceed forward on the covenant path. And if you fall away from that conformity, then they will heap guilt upon you. Your mind is darkened. The Holy Spirit, its sensitivity is, is damaged and it's withdrawn. And you are going to fall under the influence of Satan. Oh, you're going to be lost. And you won't have your family forever anymore. Where will you go? What will you do? So they'll use every psychological bullshit, silly thing to keep you in their conformity. Because, come on, that's their job. That's what they're in the business for. That's how they make their money. So come on. There's no point in getting upset about it. But once you recognize it, and then you realize, well, you know, I would like to have my own hero journey. Then you're good to go. You don't have to please anybody else. It's all about you and your heart and your mind. Yeah, see, now I'm preaching, right? The good news is by studying and analyzing how the apologists are approaching their subjects, what psychology they're using, how they're either using or abusing uh, specific kinds of evidences, how they're either including stuff that's just stupid and unrelated or they're leaving stuff out that is critical to the context. It doesn't matter by seeing their modest operandi, by seeing how they strive to convince you they are right. This is part of our own hero journey of learning to discriminate. If you don't get all of the different points of view, then you cannot begin to develop the skill, the adroitness, the mental power, and the capability of critical thinking and discrimination, and you're a lesser human being. So going through the experience is invaluable. That's why I am not spending the rest of my life lamenting that I lost 45 or 50 years of my life to that gosh damn religion and I hate them. Oh, what a waste of time. I hate God. I hate Mormons. I hate Mormonism. Man, you can let go of all of that ridiculous idiot waste of time noise. That doesn't do anything for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that is my preaching. Boy, no, I've been, woohoo, I've been preaching. Praise the Lord. Yeah, baby.
Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. All right, anyway, yeah, man, that was a 20-minute sermon. I apologize. Well, not really, but I guess you needed it. The Spirit guided me to tell you someone in my audience needed to hear me say all that. So there you have that. So by revelation, truth is established. Yeah, baby. And by listening to the Backyard Professor also. So anyway, that's essentially what I wanted to uh, get across. That is just a... Yeah, there you go, Patty Cake. Excellent point. A journey of the mind, and it's free. Uh, except it's not. Because uh, that's what time is for, is to make that journey. So you do spend time, and that's all good. It's all good. It works out. Yeah, baby, Alisa. Yeah, baby. High five, hun. Boom. Yeah, baby. Gotta love it. All righty. Uh, oh, Debbie Joe, welcome. Glad to see you. Mr. Natural, I didn't get to say hi to you earlier. Glad to see you. In the name of the BYP. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, boy. Here we go. All right. Now you're embarrassing me, hon. <laughs> All right, you guys. Oh, Seraphos Storms. Thank you. Thank you. You're. You're wrong, but it's all right. Journey of pure high-pitched gayness. Hmm. Happy, gay, joyful. Yeah. Yeah, I could go with that. It is. It's a journey. That's the program. Yeah. Very good. Uh, let's see what else you guys have said, or if I if I miss saying hi to anybody. Oh, Dean Schrank. Good to see you, my brother. <laughs> Truman G. Matson rocks after Daniel C. Peterson binges. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's that's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, see Tim Rathbone. He he knows about the hero's journey. He done a lot of study on this. Absolutely. Go, Tim Rathbone. Yeah, baby. That is no joke. Oh, Carva Amico. Welcome. Ah. <sighs> And, yeah, there you go. All right. The point of the journey is not to arrive. Richard Petjack. Good to see you, Richard. Thanks for showing up. I'm Teresa Pittman. Uh, well, I will. Absolutely. Just keep leading us along the path, BYP. Actually, you already know the path. You don't need me. I'm just a motor mouth on the side giving you hints and ideas. But when you look inside, you realize you've got everything you need right inside. Uh, I, I know that's wild. It's all, <laughs> it's a crazy, it's almost like a crazy contradiction, but yeah, technically speaking, you really don't need me for anything. But if I say that, then I don't want you to quit coming, come and at least help me make you laugh. But yeah, as far as your intellectual spiritual journey and all that, it all's inside you already. That's what the gurus will tell you. So I'm going to repeat them. I'm not a guru, but I will repeat what they say because I do trust them because their teachings have brought enlightenment to my mind. And that actually makes a difference. Truly. So, I mean, you know, it's really cool that way. So anyway, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like everybody here has had a lot of fun. Oh, Mahanrai Smith, is he here? Hello, Mahanrai. And Seraphal Storms, uh, I think you've got a good point, and I will reiterate it because this is being recorded and people may not see the chat, but I do. But uh, yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You could make apologetics for the spherical earth. Apologetics is not the problem. I agree. The problem is they're paid to do faith promoting instead of actual scholarship. And they do not look at the evidence as accurately as they know how to do. See, the way they act now, had they tried to do that back in graduate school, trying to get a PhD, they would not have received their PhD. And every one of these apologists already know that. Yeah. So I agree. Apologetics is not the problem, but neither is it the solution. Yeah. Good point. Excellent. Thank you for bringing that up. I will happily acknowledge that. Oh, Adam Scott, welcome. Glad to see you, Mr. Natural. Hey, I'm Mahanrai Smith. <laughs> oh, Mahanrai, you're so brainwashed. Bless your heart. BYP is doing the same thing. Anti-Mormon apologetics. It's not about truth. Yeah, the hell it's not, dude. I'll challenge you to a debate on this then. For me, it is about the truth, and I know where it's not, and I'm presenting actual more evidence than I ever did as an apologist because I was being led down to getting to a certain answer, or I was going to get in trouble with the bishop, the state president, the brethren, etc. and I'm not anti-Mormon. I know this sounds like a corny thing to say, but I genuinely am pro-truth. And I tell the truth much better now as a non-apologist than I ever did as an apologist. So your rhetoric is an F. You fail, my friend. Mahanrai Smith, you are wrong. I do care about the truth, but I will present it in a proper scholarly and Bayesian full context. That's something Daniel Peterson won't do. That's something none of the other apologists have ever done. Steve Smoot certainly hasn't. Uh, Neil Rapoli hasn't. Lou Midgley, he can't. I don't think he's even capable of seeing the whole picture. So that's my response to you. Nope, I am not doing the same thing. I, I absolutely disagree with you. Just to let you know. But I appreciate you showing up. That is true. Okay, let's see. Patty Cake still ranting and raving, having fun. Mo Sia is awesome. Oh, thank you, Alice, Elisa, Elisa Gallien. Yeah. Okay, you guys. Hey, it's been an hour and a half. Let's call it good, shall we? Let's call it night. Yeah, the journey is going somewhere. The journey is going into eternity. Uh, there you go. So, okay. Yeah, I agree, JC. 
there was a false equivalent between actual scholarship and apologetics. They are very different approaches. Absolutely. Truly, truly. Oh, my pleasure, John Rosbarski. You betcha. Good to join all of you this evening, Mosia says. Yes, me too. Doug Vincent. Oh, Doug Vincent. You are so kind. Dude, you rock. I'm not kidding. Thank you. That's very generous. Okay. I, I am feeling better, Teresa Pittman. Thank you for asking. I appreciate you, doll. I appreciate it, truly. So, anyway, Mr. Natural, do your bells. What else is left? Yeah, there we go. You're very welcome. Yes, yeah, see you all on Wednesday night. Thanks, Peter Higgs, for reminding. See you all on Mormonism Live. Oh, well, remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, TM, thank you for showing up. Mark Christman, yeah, baby. Yeah, I know, T.O. It is awesome that I triggered a response from Dan Peterson. That's because I hit him right in the mouth with the truth, and he knew it. He can't get away with bullshitting me. I used to play that game from his side. I see a broader, more accurate picture. You can't bullshit me, Dr. Peterson. That's how this works. It's See, I'm free. I'm free from that. It, it's awesome, man. I'm free to explore the truth. So, Okay, you guys, I will not keep you any longer. I will see you Wednesday night, and then I will see you next Sunday night for a more continuation of Book of Mormon Exploration in Archaeology, History, Linguistics, whatever the heck, to show you that there's literally nothing historically validating about the Scripture, which has got to be bothersome to some, but it's actually opening a new spiritual vista for others. Maybe it wasn't meant as real history. That's a very real viable option now. So, okay. We will see you soon. Be good. Have fun. Do well. Be good neighbors and be good friends.